Well, hello and welcome back to Intermediate, where you can easily get the knowledge you need to work in clean energy beyond the obvious. I'm Ben here with my co-host Pam and James. Hey Ben, good to be back. Hey James. Hi. <laughs> how are you guys doing? Yeah, doing well. Question to the group, how many of us have EVs? Yes. How many of us? Pa yes. Oh, I, <laughs> I have whatever car I could get and, and then bring to school. But then I make up for it by walking almost everywhere and taking the bus when possible and carpooling. That's that's even better than the EV. Yeah. All right. I do not have an EV. I guess I could cheat and say I don't have a car because um, we sold my car when gas prices were high. I was convinced this was the beginning of the end for gas. Um, our one gas car, which we have because it's paid off, is a 2013 yeah. Ford Fusion. So not an EV. Okay. Is it fusion powered though? Not even fusion powered. It's just gas powered, unfortunately. Uh, I do, in fact, have an EV. I have a 2018 e-Golf. It is. Uh, it's from the era where EVs were um, slightly more handicapping than they are today. Uh, you know, on a, on a good day, it'll do about 150 miles of uh, of range, and that's. Uh, you know, you might think that, oh, you can go pretty far on 150 miles, but when you're, uh, you know, when you're running around doing a bunch of errands, um, you can eat that up pretty quickly. But at, on the other hand, it's amazing. I love it. And I'm hopefully never going to get rid of it. Yeah. So question for me, the next car I want to get is an EV and I'm actually like causing issues in our family because I, I insist on it actually <laughs> <laughs> being very stubborn um but our requirements up here in seattle like i need it's basically like you want an electric subaru with long range which doesn't exist you know like yeah i need high ground clearance i need to be able to travel greater than 200 miles probably um I need it to be not a million dollars. So like the Rivian's kind of out. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. my options are here. And so I was like, okay, if I think about Subaru has the Solterra and that's all of those things, except something with long range. Yeah. What if, could I get some rig that's like, I put it in my car and it's a battery and solar panels. And I could like, when I get to the trailhead or camping or something, like charge up my car based off the sun. Is that feasible? There is actually a guy that has prototyped this at least and is trying to sell it for Teslas um, where not only is there a kit where you put a pretty sizable solar panel over the top of your Model 3, but there's actually like when you park, just like you said, when you park, you unfold this kit from the trunk and I don't know, it goes up for like 10 yards behind your, behind your Tesla and it just lays on the ground and, you know, trickle charges uh trickle charges your model three so it's like a it's like a mobile ground mount i guess you wouldn't yeah that makes sense see the issue though is the model three has like really low ground clearance and so that's yes like obviously that would be a great option but you don't want to destroy it and have the ev and all the components fall out as you go up the trailhead yeah well one of the things we'll get into today is actually the the charging standards um and kind of the aside from okay, this thing needs to fit on the roof of a, a Model 3. If you put that part aside and just think about the, uh, the panels you lay on the ground, uh, the charging is actually the same between, uh, uh, between 
whatever, a, a Solterra or a Model 3 or, God forbid, a, a Hummer, like an electrified Hummer, uh, <laughs> which, you know, which is the at the high end of the, the price bracket there. Pam, why do we care about EVs? Because they're storage on wheels and they're cool. And we get a lot of emissions from just the average car that runs on gas, like ice vehicles is what they're called, internal combustion engines. But ice sounds way cooler. Um, in America, 29% of emissions are coming from transportation. And within that 29%, 58% of those emissions are coming from light duty vehicles. And a lot of that is from short, and a lot of that's from short range trips. So if you want to abate those emissions, then switching to EVs is part of your answer. What are those things that we have now available that are renewable uh, that can be worked in quite a different way into the economy of the United States? Which are concerned primarily with the design of nuclear power plants and this type of thing. Hi, I'm Pamela Wildstein. I'm Wyatt Makadonsky. I'm Ben Hilborn. I'm James Corey. You're listening to Intermediate. 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 To Intermediate. Intermediate. The place for people trying to get into or already working on distributed energy resources and clean energy. This is the podcast that makes it easy to learn how the grid actually works beyond the obvious. Hey everyone, this is James Gordy, and this is episode two of the Intermediate Podcast. Today we have the esteemed co-host guest of... Ben Hilborn and Pam Wildstein. Hello. Hey, Ben, Pam. Thanks for Hi. jumping on. Yeah. Um, and so I think today we want to cover a slightly in the weeds version of electric vehicles. So um, we're really just going to take you through. Um, and so I guess just to kick it off, Ben, do you want to give us an intro on EVs and why they're awesome? Yeah. I mean, so if you're, if you're in the energy industry, if you're in EVs, this is this is going to seem pretty rudimentary, but this is for anybody who's, you know, who's checking out the episode because they want to get uh, really in depth. And if if you don't know some of the basics, it's hard to uh, hard to build on top of that understanding. So, at the most basic level, you know, a, a car is a car. It is an enclosed cabin that has uh, usually four wheels and some way, uh, some mode of propulsion to move you around in nearly every vehicle up until call it 10-ish years ago maybe 20 um, most vehicles were internal combustion they had a tank of combustible fuel you know diesel or gasoline um, and an internal combustion engine which you would feed that fuel into you would get small explosions of um, of your old dinosaur juice and that would be turned into, you know, rotational power, which would which would move the wheels. Now, instead, we have uh, in an electric vehicle, you have a battery pack, and so instead of a tank that holds gasoline, you have a battery which has a chemical potential. Um, that when you let that chemical potential equalize, you get electricity out of it. That goes into a a little electric motor. The electric motor turns that electricity into rotational force which moves the wheels at the end of the day two different ways of moving the vehicle forward um the kind of the the big difference and this is this is what everyone talks about when it comes to evs at least at at this point in time which is data recording you know april 17th 2023 
Um, we're like I would say that we're fairly far along in the EV revolution. We've seen, you know, multiple generations of vehicles uh, come out now, and the top, the main topic of conversation is still, what's the range? So while an electric motor is way more efficient at turning input power into output motion than a internal combustion engine, it is, uh, it's, you know, a fact of the matter that a, um, a lithium ion battery is way less energy dense than a tank of gasoline. There is so much more potential energy in a tank of gasoline than there is in a, a battery pack, which, you know, will be much, much larger and much heavier than that tank of gasoline. And so at the end of the day, you've got all these numbers that kind of uh, balance out. You get, you know, call it 500 miles out of a, um, you know, out of an efficient car with a, with a full tank of gasoline. And you'll get, you know, 300 and change out of, a, you know, an efficient EV with a, with a full charge. So in the same ballpark, we're not there yet. That's kind of the, um, that's kind of the, the big talking point. You get other uh, people also talk about how EVs are um, are greener. You've got um, and the the important thing to focus on here is tailpipe emissions. So when you look at the vehicle itself, how much how polluting is the vehicle? And so you put a certain amount of energy into the vehicle, it gets charged up, or the gas tank gets filled, and what comes out of that as you drive? Nothing comes out of an EV. Um, you get carbon dioxide, nitrous oxides, different things coming out of an internal combustion vehicle. Um, especially when you talk about how green these vehicles are, you really do get, um, you know, you can get some people riled up about, oh, well, like the, the power for that EV is coming from, um, from dirty coal plants and, and whatnot. There's a, there's a whole conversation here. My... The, my the favorite thing that I like to come back to is uh, it's called entrained emissions, where when you if I'm going to if I'm going to build a brand new vehicle today and I build an internal combustion vehicle, that vehicle can only ever run on fossil fuels. It, it can only ever it, it's probably it, the day it rolls off the, the factory line. That's the most efficient it's ever going to be. It is never going to get cleaner than it is that day. You build an electric vehicle. It has um, it has some amount of um, you know emissions that take to build it, and yes, it's drawing power from the grid, and that will um, that has some amount of carbon footprint today. But the beauty is that as the grid gets cleaner, so does the vehicle, and so that's that's my my favorite way to think about that. Well, I don't know. What do you guys think? How do you how do you like to talk about how clean or not clean? EVs are. Yeah, I think you just brought up all the <laughs> the sticky topics that might happen at the Thanksgiving table with my older relatives, Ben. Uh, I know, I know. I wanted to so. get them out there early. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt we can unpack those. Um, I think one thing to just like highlight though, right? Um, electric vehicles isn't just the four-wheel things that you are going to park in your garage. Like electric vehicles are, you know, school buses and transit buses and um semi trucks right like tesla's announcing their semi truck or even boats and airplanes like 
it's a thing that moves, it's a vehicle, and you know, in many cases, it makes sense to make it electric. Um, I think there's a lot of um, things that kind of talk about the benefits, the pros and cons. I think like at a high level, people will tell you EVs are awesome. Um, I don't have one myself, mostly for those range challenges, right? Like we live in Seattle, and so like when we drive our car outside the city, it's normally like pretty long and it needs to be off-road. And um, there's not a whole lot of like off-road type SUVs that are electric that aren't like a Rivian, which is super expensive, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, in general, like they're a good smooth driving experience. You know, I've driven one a couple times. And um, when you look at the total cost of ownership, both from like an electricity purchasing in the car standpoint and also the maintenance, EVs are normally cheaper. Um, and we'll get into this a lot more, but that implies that you're going to manage and like charge it in a smart, efficient way. And so like, you know, while it might be hard, like out of pocket on the front end to say like my EV is cheaper and, you know, batteries are pretty expensive, so it can be out of reach for some people. They are getting cheaper and cheaper and more accessible, like we talked about. And if you can manage the energy in a smart way, they are cheaper from like a total cost of ownership, right? <laughs> you can try to like make that argument at the Thanksgiving table. Um, it's hard to whip out the spreadsheet though in practice. And so we need to get better at like saying that in a simple way. I can be very disappointed if I hear that you didn't whip out a spreadsheet about EVs at this Thanksgiving dinner. You I know, Pam probably did, right? Oh, probably. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, I, I, I think when I think about EVs though, and I think kind of going off uh, your earlier point, um, I think they're a really great example and probably one of the best examples for why when we talk about electrifying everything, it's not just make you know everything based on electricity. It's also if we want to truly decarbonize, we also need to make sure we're coming from clean energy sources because you can have an EV, and it can be you can have an EV, but if all the electricity is coming from coal, then you haven't really helped the environment that much, or you haven't really led to system-wide decarbonization at all. So it's really be, being proactive about how you're managing your system and what you're actually using to fuel your EVs now. Um, and I think the one other little sticky point on EVs, and maybe this is more from, I know I hear this one a lot, and I think it's really important for us to consider in the future, is the batteries themselves, the lithium-ion batteries themselves, the mining processes that we're getting those resources from have a lot of environmental uh, harms associated with them and also a lot of um, justice concerns with like human uh, like human issues associated with them and that's something that we really need to grapple with as well mm -hmm. one of the and that's something that... that there's not there's not like an easy fix for that one it's not like oh you know there's a you know there's my ev is currently being you know fueled by coal so i just need to create a transition to clean energy it's like well if the processes behind which i'm getting the battery for are really toxic for the environment and really terrible for the people that are doing the mining like that that's a tough one yeah absolutely there's i think my favorite part about the ev industry it's you know AI is all the rage these days. Everybody is talking with, experimenting with, you know, just experiencing how quickly AI is is progressing. And one of the things I love about EVs is the the EV industry is kind of having this the same kind of extremely rapid development cycle that a lot of people don't really see because the the end consumer product isn't like, oh man, I'm going to go to the 
I'm going to go to the grocery store and get the newest chemistry of uh, of EV battery. Like that's that's not something that you buy as a consumer, but you'll see. Um, what is it? There's a, um, I think BYD uh, out of China is releasing their Seagull EV with the option for a sodium ion battery. Um, you know, slightly less energy dense than lithium ion, but it's like, you know, one of the very first generations of this battery, this, this battery tech that they're putting into a car that you can buy. And so the more you can deploy this into real life, the more you can put it into people's hands and just like iterate, 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 where we're going to be in five years from now, like EVs today are going to look like relics. It's, I, I love it. Yeah, I remember, I think it must have been like five years ago at this point, I was listening to an episode of the podcast called The Interchange before green tech media got shut down and bought out and um, back when it was like really clean energy oriented. And one of the guys on the podcast was like, I'll eat my shoe the day that I see uh, like a pickup truck EV. And then I, and I was like, yeah, we're never going to see it's going to take like 10, 20 years. And then like two years later, we got a pickup truck EV and my whole class was losing their minds over it. And we were all, we, we watched the commercial in class and we all like a little party over it. It was so cool. Just like the speed that the industry is going is insane. <coughs> Tell me you mailed him a shoe. <laughs> no, no. I okay. hope someone did. <laughs> okay. Well, just to like, just to like continue leveling the playing field, making sure that everybody's got, everybody coming into this, this episode has the, uh, all the basics. So, um, in the same way that um, you can uh, you can buy different octanes of gas for your car, there are, there are different ways that you can um, that you can fuel your your EV, and it's just so that everybody kind of has the the same understanding here. Not that not that any one type of fueling like gives your car more power or anything like that. In the in the way that you know an an octane rating has has an influence over you know ignition timing. So you go out, you buy your, you buy your first EV, you're super proud, you bring it home and in the trunk, they give you a, um, uh, a charger, like a, a home charger. Um, also important to note that a sometimes charger, <laughs> what's that? Sometimes it's not always, it's sometimes, not always that's included, true. right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It used to be included in the model three and now you have to buy it separately. I forgot about that. So sometimes, sometimes you get a charger with your with your EV. Also worth noting that the proper name for the thing you call a charger is actually an EVSE. It's the electrical electric vehicle supply equipment. And the reason for that is the thing that actually charges the battery is in the car. It was in the car from day one. It'll always be in the car. But that is that is semantics. If you ever hear the the term EVSE, they're referring to what most people think of as the charger. Anyways, if you're lucky enough to get a charger in your car from the from the showroom, uh, it'll likely be just kind of a, a 110. Uh, this is North American focused, obviously. Uh, it'll just be a 110 volt uh, charger that you can plug into any wall socket in your garage. You plug it into your electric vehicle, and you wake up in the morning and you stare at the dash of your car and you realize I only got 50 miles of range overnight. Oh, that's not what I expected. Everybody tells me that I can plug my car in and it's fully charged every morning. Well, there 
just because some salesperson tells you that and leaves out some of the details doesn't change the the mechanics of how the the grid and your your home uh, electrical equipment works so what you what you've experienced there is called level one charging um this is just charging your car at the the same speed as a toaster essentially so you're, you're taking it a one ton vehicle and you're supplying it with the same amount of power as it takes to make your bagel in the morning um and you're expecting that to move your car around all day long okay so there's there's a little bit of a mismatch there for some people people that you know have have short commutes or that maybe that don't commute at all and you know only take their car out once every couple days um uh, a level one charger is actually totally sufficient um and this is um you know it's it's a cheap way to charge your car it's very gentle on the batteries you're not uh you're not taxing them by you know heating them up by pushing a ton of current into them it's you know it's a simple nice easy way to do it most people that buy an ev will eventually upgrade to what's called a level two charger and these can be found in homes or out at the mall or at a hotel um a, a level two charger this is somewhere from five to 20 times as fast as a level one charger. And so starting to get into a little bit more details here, your level one charger is probably capped at around one kilowatt. <coughs> a level two charger can be anywhere in the range of like five to 20 kilowatts. And uh, this, uh, to reference back to episode one, where we, we talked about the difference between kilowatts and kilowatt hours, a kilowatt is the rate of charge is how fast you're charging. A kilowatt hour is how much you can charge in an hour. It's the amount, the, the aggregate amount of charge. And so you'll go hire an electrician. They'll come mount a fancy shiny box on your wall. The charge cable is going to be much thicker. Uh, and you plug your car in and now it's going to be fully charged potentially in three hours or something like that. You, you get home from work, you plug in. By the time you want to go out for dinner, your car's fully charged again that kind of thing that's that's the kind of experience you can expect from a level two charger and it's the same kind of thing you go to uh you go to the mall you plug in you shop for a couple hours by the time you come out your car's fully charged that's that's the level two experience quick uh, question level one ben yeah yeah so i definitely like i know some people where like they live on the side of a hill here and um, they don't like park their car in the garage because the garage is just full of stuff that's not a car <laughs> you can imagine yep. um yeah and so they run an extension cord out to the street to plug in their tesla model 3 mm -hmm. is that a level one a level two or something else that's janky it doesn't qualify is that legal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah more people aside, do this than legal? you might think actually oh i believe it <laughs> yeah there's a there's actually a very cool company called Volt Post that's looking to kind of make street side charging a little bit easier for owners like this, where, you know, you're charging during the daytime and you use power that's not being used for lighting. Anyways, a little, you know, small shout out to Volt Post there. Um, that's likely going to be just a level one. The reason being is if you have to run an extension cord from the side of your house all the way out to the sidewalk and then to it's like to a souped up your... extension cord. Yeah. Is it? It's entirely yeah. possible that people are actually doing like level charging uh level two charging street side that's totally possible ingenuity ingenuity indeed 
Indeed. Just hope don't adapt, reach overcome, it. persevere. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm going to finish my spiel on charging. We, we've made it through level one. We got level two. And what's after that? Well, level three. So this is, this is called DC fast charging. Um, and the reason you call it DC fast charging is level one and level two were AC. So this is the power that's in your walls at home. You know, it's the same, like same thing. You plug in your toaster, you plug in your oven, your clothes dryer, all this kind of stuff. It's, it's all AC. DC fast charging is much different primarily because it's direct current, not alternating current. And the reason for that is because of that charger that I talked about earlier. When uh, the, the charger that is in the car, not, not the EVSE, but the little box that's hot, hidden in your car somewhere, the thing that charges the batteries, um, it's what takes AC current that's coming into the car from your wall and converts it to DC current and puts it into the batteries. Batteries are inherently a direct current device. When you plug into a DC fast charger, it says, hey, onboard charger, I don't need you. I'm going to throw power into the battery pack myself. I'm going to manage it. You can get out of the way. And the uh, kind of the, the management capabilities, the, uh, the power delivery capabilities of a DC fast charger are much, much greater than the little charging block that's hidden in your car somewhere. So whereas a level two charger on your wall, let's say it can deliver at, at the very top end, let's say it can deliver 20 kilowatts. Most are not that fast, but let's say it can deliver 20 kilowatts and the little charging, the charger in your car, it can accept up to 20 kilowatts. You're, you're kind of maxing out all ends of the system there. A DC fast charger, depending on the vehicle, can put up to 500 kilowatts into a vehicle. Now, no, no consumer vehicles can accept 500 kilowatts. They, you get things like the Porsche Taycan or the, um, I don't, I don't think even the Ionic Five can accept 350. But kind of the, the maximum that, that a commercial, commercially available vehicle for a consumer, can accept is about 350 kilowatts. So an order of magnitude larger um, than level two. And the experience here is intended to be as close to pulling up to a gas station as possible. This is something, it's it's not that fast yet. It is, we, we simply aren't there in terms of technology. But this is something where if you're road tripping with your, with your car, um, you can pull up to a DC fast charger, plug in, you know, go into the nearby convenience store for a snack, go to the bathroom, um, you know, just, you know, look at the birds for, for a minute or two. And by the time, by that time, your, your car's ready to go. You know, you're, you're aiming for somewhere between like a, a 15 to, you know, 30 minute stop for, for most of your battery, battery capacity. That's, that's kind of the experience of, of DC fast charging. Um, James, you, you said you've tried driving an EV a few times. Have you, did you get to try supercharging or, or DC fast charging? Indirectly. Um, I was up in British Columbia, like kind of on the way to Banff driving from mm -hmm. Vancouver one time. And, um, yeah. 
when we were driving up, like we got to uh, Squamish and they had like a Tesla supercharger station there. And so we got to yeah. use one of those and we basically just like walked, got a coffee, you know, it was Starbucks and it was kind of like pretty crowded. So <laughs> took us like 20, 30 minutes. We got back and like, we definitely were most of the way there. Um, but then we yeah. got up to actually like Whistler um, and we were just using like a level two charger, right? Um, Cause we just like mm-hmm. driven up the mountains and all over. So we had like drained down a lot. Um, and we probably went like into the Whistler village for a couple hours, came back. And I would assume this was level two, not level one, but like it didn't make that big of a dent, honestly, you know, like it, we were probably there for a couple hours and we maybe added like 30, maybe 40% onto it from the public charger. Yeah. Yeah. You're, that's a, that's a very, apt description of level level three versus level two charging um and it's really important to note that all of this all of these things are entirely vehicle dependent it's the same kind of thing if i if i have my 1995 toyota camry right it doesn't matter if i put 100 octane into it it's it's not going to go any faster it is like it there there are limitations of, of the car it's the same kind of thing with um, with charging of, of any type. Um, the charger in your car is going to limit how fast you can AC charge, and the battery itself and the onboard battery management system is going to limit how fast you can DC charge. So in my e-Golf, um, I can only I can only DC fast charge at 40 kilowatts. It doesn't matter if I plug into a 350 kilowatt capable station. I'm only charging at 40 kilowatts. The great thing is it's an extremely efficient vehicle, not like a, you know, a Hummer EV or something. Um, and so it, it still doesn't take me that long to, uh, to charge up, but there are limitations of the car. I can't take advantage of the full capabilities of the, of the DC fast charger. And so people kind of need to think about the fact that like, it's not just like, the charger or even the car itself it's kind of like both and like what they can support in like a charging experience is that like the right way to think about it yeah it's i think one of the one of the interesting things about the the transition to evs is that the average driver has to know more about their car than they used to it's interesting there's a little bit of like a a dumbbell curve here you know back 30 40 years ago the average driver had to know like roughly like how to adjust a carburetor, right? It's just, it's one of those things that like, if you're, if you're driving up a mountain pass, you need to know how to adjust a carburetor so that you can adjust your air fuel mixture. Um, it, it's just one of the necessary tools in operating that vehicle. And then we got to, you know, the modern era of internal combustion where everything is automated, computerized. It is as simple as, I, I don't even take the key out of my pocket anymore. I get in the car, I turn it on, I go, and that's it. That's the extent of the the experience. In a, because we've kind of shifted to this this new technology, in a way, is we're we're kind of back towards the like you've got to be a little bit more involved. You have to understand your vehicle a little bit more to have the best possible experience. Yeah, but I mean that that's kind of asking a lot of people, right? Like, there's a lot of change management or difference here like people just want something that's simple like even me who's like relatively um you know excuse the pun plugged into the ev scene like it's kind of a lot to know um 
So can't you just like go plug in more or less and as long as you have the same connector, like it'll charge and it'll go kind of as fast as it will, but like you just kind of have to know or like be surprised by how long it's going to take. Like, is that fair? You can mostly just like plug it in, but it might just take a long time. Like, is that going to well, cause you, problems? You know, you kind of touched on something interesting. There is the different connectors, right? There's we've, everybody kind of knows about the, Oh, which, which USB cable do I need? Do I need the, you know, type a type B type, you know, micro mini, that whole thing has happened with EVs as well. So, to your to answer your question so long as you're not in a rush yeah you, you can mostly just go plug in anywhere and just see what happens and the, the vehicle and the charger will sort it out it's just you at the end of the day as the human are going to be you're kind of left holding the bag and just kind of waiting for the process to finish now that the hard constraint here is making sure that you've got the right connector um the, there are a bunch of different connectors per market so us as north americans we don't have to worry about seeing um, like a European style um, EV plug. It's called like a, a Menikes, uh plug. And you just, you're never going to see it. You're not going to see it on a charger. You're not going to see it on a car. It has never come to North America. Um, we have J1772s for <coughs> our kind of level one, level two charging. Um, same kind of thing for, for fast charging. You've got the, this kind of this this standard it's called the uh, it's called ccs it's either ccs1 or ccs2 ccs1 is the north american standard ccs2 is the kind of european slash rest of world standard um and then you've got the complexity of the tesla plug where tesla don't have any of those um tesla has its own plug shape and um and architecture and you need to use adapters if you want to use a tesla on a non-Tesla charger or a non-Tesla vehicle on a Tesla charger. There's another layer of complexity. So to answer your question, yeah, it kind of sucks for user experience right now. There, there is a big learning curve. Do people just carry around a bunch of adapters? Do you kind of realize that you can't charge one time and then you order something on Amazon, like an adapter kit? Like, how do people normally deal with this? <laughs> Manufacturers try to make your life a little bit easier in that you know with every tesla you'll get an adapter so that you can you can charge at like any j1772 charger um and as for other vehicles yeah if, if you want to charge at a, a tesla level two charger you have to go buy a you have to go buy an adapter on amazon and they're, they're not the cheapest things um tesla's just uh just recently started opening up their supercharger like that's their fast charger network they've started opening it up to um to non-tesla vehicles and what they've done is they've included an adapter as a part of the charging station so if you pull up and kind of unlock the station with the uh, with the app there's something on the the supercharger called a magic dock and if you say oh yeah i'm charging a non-tesla vehicle here when you pull the charge handle out it actually instead of pulling out just the tesla charger it comes out with a ccs1 adapter on it so then you can fast charge your non-tesla so people are working on it it's not there it's stuff is a little bit hacky but it's getting better that's fair um did you want to cover the bit ben about how the chargers and the battery don't automatically just like charge at the same rate 
or is that best left to a visual that we follow up on you think uh i think i touched on it a little bit i think that's, that should be fine okay um all right i did want to give people a sense of like scale best we can and best we can means like if you have a relative are following us as far as like kilowatts and kilowatt hours go um can we just like talk through some vehicle batteries and kind of just say like what the vehicle is how big the battery is and roughly how long it would take to charge with like the different chargers like a few examples sure. that might be helpful for people yeah uh, i'm gonna um, i'm gonna plug my own i have it so I, I, I have a real example that i had written up for my part Oh yeah, let's hear it. Yeah. So, well, I guess we already said this, but a kilowatt is a rate. It's how fast you're getting the electricity. And the kilowatt hour is the amount of electricity that you're getting. So one kilowatt for one hour is one kilowatt hour. So if my EV has a capacity of 80 kilowatt hours and my charger charges at a rate of 10 kilowatts, then I would need eight hours to charge the battery from empty to full. Yep. What, what level would that example. be, Pam? That'd be a level two. Good work. In, in fact, <laughs> this was a test. <laughs> this was my final today. This was it. <laughs> I, I will add one thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah I passed. Um, I will add one thing. The difference on like a residential home's electricity usage between level one and level two is staggering. Like, like just from like residential electricity usage stand, stand, uh, stand from the residential uh sector's electricity usage standpoint like it's huge if you think of a time series like an hourly time series of a home's electricity usage just with a one kilowatt difference you're not really going to notice that because the home really is generally from like 0.5 to one kilowatts anyway that's that's maybe like that that's really maybe that's like it, it's not that much of a difference but adding five to 20 kilowatts is huge like you'll see homes at like 5 or 6 p.m. they'll plug the car in with level two chargers that that's like 10 times the amount of electricity usage just increases by you know 10 times tenfold it's it's wild to see on a graph because i have two competing thoughts the first one being that math that you did pam is great and works well at low charge rates but it really breaks down when you start increasing that charge rate because a battery doesn't perform linearly. It's not like a bucket. It it's like a, it's not how how fast can I pour the water into the bucket? That's how fast the bucket will get full. It's much closer to an elastic band, where um, it, in many ways actually, where if you take an elastic band and you just haul on it super fast, there's a there's a good chance it'll just snap. But if you if you pull it gently from you know totally loosey goosey all, all the way till it's you know fully extended, uh, that's that's much gentler on the uh, on the elastic band. And as you as the elastic band stretches more and more till it till it gets to that point where it would change from elastic to you know inelastic deformation, um, you'll feel more and more resistance. And that's exactly what happens with a battery. So when you're DC fast charging, um, and this happens at all charge levels, but the the effect of it is is much more prominent when you're DC fast charging. The 
the closer you are to full, the slower the battery is going to charge because there is more resistance to the electrons flowing into the into the battery. And this is just kind of like the, the last little cherry on top of the, the charging experience I wanted to give. And that's that that math doesn't specifically work at, at higher speeds. If I have a 100 kilowatt hour battery and I go and I plug into a 100 kilowatt <coughs> uh, capable charger, that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm done in an hour <clears throat> because my battery is likely going to start charging at 100 kilowatts. And as it gets closer to full, that charge rate is going to taper off for things because of, primarily because of heat. As the battery uh, fills up and as there's more internal resistance to electrons moving around, it, it starts to heat up. Um, and there's, you know, there's much more minutia to do with why, uh, why DC fast charging has to slow down that I don't know well enough. Uh, but it's just important to talk about for the experience where um, different cars have different battery management systems. They can deal with this DC fast charging in, in different ways. And it's, um, it seems like a very strange thing to look at when you're buying a car. But if I compare my e-golf, so like to be totally frank, the e-golf is an old EV, right? Like it's came out in like 2016 or something like that. It's kind of old tech, but when you plug it in to fast charge, the, the charge curve of that vehicle is a flat line. It charges at 40 kilowatts, basically from zero to 100%. It's crazy. Um, but then you look at a brand new vehicle, like the, the Toyota BZ4X or like Subaru Solterra, same car. Um, it starts near its, uh, its maximum charge rate and immediately starts declining from there. When you think, oh yeah, my car can, my car can fast charge at 100 kilowatts. And you just kind of do that mental math and factor that into how long you're going to be at a at a rest stop charging. That's not what's going to happen because you're going to be down below fifty percent of your max charge rate before you know it. Um, I think to to paint this picture though, Ben, like we're, we're looking at graphs and it's really easy for us to tell. Like if you can imagine like an X and a Y, um, with like the um, x-axis left to right being like the percentage battery or often state of charge. And then the y-axis up and down being like the rate in kilowatts, right, at which it's charging. Um, you can kind of imagine this like really steep ramp up as you like plug in and start the charge session. And if it's a really good charge curve, that rate will stay really high all the way across until as close as possible to like the battery at being at 100% state of charge. Um, the, the dicey ones though, like Ben's kind of describing, um, are like they'll ramp up. And then very quickly, the like charge uh, rate will drop really, really quickly. And so instead of it just being like 10 kilowatts, 80 kilowatt hour, 80 kilowatt hour battery, um, it'll be more like eight hours. It'll be like a lot longer than that because like your charge rate is declining on the graph, right? And so it'll kind of like shoot up and then like go down pretty quickly. And maybe that helps a little bit. Yeah. Alternatively, uh, one of the guys in my lab explained it to me as people going on a bus and their comfort level of being on the bus and how many people you can get on the bus at once. And when the bus is empty, you can very quickly get many people on the bus. But then as time goes on and the bus becomes more full, 
you have to sit near more people. Now some people are standing. Now you're at the big stop and all the people come in and now everyone's smushed together and you're like slowly getting as many people in this bus smushed together as possible. And it becomes really uncomfortable. I love the bus analogy. It's it's a really good analogy. It's a really good one. It's a great one. I didn't understand this at all until my friend used the bus analogy and then I completely understood. And then I also understood from that analogy why you don't want to keep your battery fully charged because you're putting too much stress on it. Like you don't want your bus at your max capacity because it's just not, you know, it's not comfortable for everyone. Mm-hmm. You put strain on it. All right. If it's cool, I'm just going to name a couple popular vehicles and like their battery size, and then we can move on to Pam's section. Is that cool? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. All right, so people are pretty familiar, right? Tesla, you know, everybody wants one, maybe, maybe you don't. <laughs> um, so, like a Tesla Model Three, somewhere between like a fifty to ninety kilowatt hour battery. Um, you know, Model Y, it's kind of like the SUV, seventy-five to hundred. Chevy Bolt, uh, sixty kilowatt hours. Um, Nissan Leaf, maybe the older ones are kind of forty. They get all the way up to hundred now. Um, Volkswagen ID. Four or Ford's Ford Mustang Mach E. These are kind of like they call them SUVs, but they're not really, you know, type vehicles. Um, mm-hmm. They have about 75 to 100 kilowatt hours. Um, you have the Hummer, <laughs> Hummer EV, 210 kilowatt hours, or like a, um, a Ford F-150 Lightning. That's uh, 98 to 131 kilowatt hours. And so, like, uh, oh, I'm going to add go in ahead. the Ram Rev. So, like, you know, uh, Dodge has come out with its uh, competitor to the, the Ford Lightning lightning which is the uh, the ram rev it has a 229 <coughs> kilowatt hour battery pack which is an insane yeah, that's, that's like a school bus like an electric school bus yeah pretty similar yeah i mean coming back to pam's point about like we are still in this era of we don't have a great handle on how to do this perfectly ethically and you know perfectly um, you know, good for the planet from cradle to grave. Oh, man, the the people that are buying vehicles like the Hummer EV or the Ram Rev and just using it to, you know, do their 20-mile commute to work every day, it really is the same kind of excess as buying a Hummer and using that to do your commute to work. Like buying a, buying a yeah, gas Yeah, but... One. I don't know, though, man, like, I'm from New Orleans, spent a lot of time living in like Texas, Mississippi, or places like that. Like, it's less about practicality and it's more just like cultural, you know? Like, people have trucks, they use them for work. They don't use them for work, right? Like, they might never get a speck of dust on it, but like, you need to like provide cars and electric options that people really like resonate with and are like almost like cultural, you know? Like, in middle America, a truck is much more than just like a car, right? It's like a. A cultural symbol like a status symbol and so like i think it's good that we have these options um how we make them practical like i think that's a totally fair argument but like you know in the northwest everyone makes sense makes fun, fun of you like you get a super when you move to portland or seattle or something right <laughs> we need yeah. to have like a really good electric suv for people like that otherwise you know like even us you know it's it's, it's hard to really justify that that trade-off or that um that sacrifice like people don't want to do it like we need to meet people where they are yeah i can agree with that I, i'll get behind that okay um pam i think we did want to talk a little bit about um 
electric vehicle energy use and um, how that kind of like impacts people's utility bills. You know, like in theory, in magic, EVs are cheaper because the um, electricity is cheaper than gas. But like, could you kind of take us through that world um, and like help us kind of start to engage with it? Kind of speak to the people that maybe aren't in it day to day like us and are really just curious, like, all right, now we're peeling back. Like we kind of have a good feel for the hardware and the options here. Like. How does this interact with utilities and the grid and like speak to people really trying to engage? Yeah. So in theory, like you said, in theory, they're cheaper. In theory, they are better for their, you know, have lower emissions. But that's, you know, all theory. In practice, it gets messed up and gets crazy very quickly. Um, so the big difference between and I'm going to stick to the residential level here. So all this is going to be mainly residential In in theory, not theory, sorry. The big difference between an EV and an ICE vehicle is that with the ICE vehicle, you're paying at the pump. And then the EV, assuming you're doing a level one or a level two charger at home, now you're paying at the end of the month for your utility or your utility bill. Um, and the cost of charging that EV is going to depend on your rate structure and how much you're paying per kilowatt hour. And then depending on that rate structure, the time that you're charging. So in general, there are two options for charging your EV. You can either meter the EV with your house and then everything is on, is the same, on the same one bill. And that's where, when I spoke about earlier, when I said we can really see the difference between a level one and a level two charger in your hourly electricity usage for the home, that's where you really start to see that. Your, section, your second op option is to meter the EV separately and then you get two bills. So you have one bill for your house and then one for your, e, for your EV. So for example, PG&E as of February, 2023 has two residential EV rate plans. Their home charging EV2A combines the vehicle and the home and then their EVB uh, rate requires you to install a second meter and keeps the two on separate bills. So then the question becomes, well, why would you wanna keep them separate? That just sounds really annoying to have to pay two bills a month and keep them, uh, and keep them in line. And it's because the EV specific rates like that EVB rate I was speaking about tend to be more dynamic and there's more you can do with them and there's more savings that you could get with them. Um, so there are two, I guess, technically three styles of EV charging tariffs. The first is the normal hey, flat. Pam. Yeah. Before we go there, can I just mm -hmm. um, try and make sure I understood it for anyone yeah. that's like maybe not quite as familiar with like utility bills and like how kind of like energy usage flows through. Um, so what I understand it as is that um, you know, right? Like you kind of use however much energy you use electricity and then that gets tagged on your meter. And mm -hmm. then like every month you get a bill from the utility. Now you have this like net new load, right? Electrifying everything. Maybe the yeah. first thing is your EV. That energy, if you don't do anything else, is gonna get fed in through to like the usage is gonna get fed into your meter and then mm -hmm. translated to your bill through the tariff that you're on, correct? The utilities yeah. call it tariffs. Exactly. <clears throat> and then how do people even know this stuff? Like you're talking about an EVB and a residential, you know, a bunch of words, right? Like how, how do people engage with this stuff? Like how can you even figure it out? Unfortunately, you have to be kind of proactive about going on the utilities website and looking for the options. Um, some utilities make it really easy. Sometimes they'll even come to you and they'll tell you these are the options available to you or this is where it can be found on our website or here's some mail about it. And then other, and and maybe their website's like really easy to use and navigate. Like I've seen some really great websites and then others, not so much. Um, 
so if you're going to get an EV, like we were talking about before, people need to know more about their vehicle. They need to interact with their utility in new and different ways that they haven't had to in the past. Part of that process, and this is something when my parents were getting an EV, I had to walk them through because I, as an energy person, was kind of familiar with it, is going on the website, going through the pain of calling the utility and doing some research. And hopefully over time, you know, as EVs become more normalized, then more of these processes will already be set up and there'll be more resources available for people. Yeah, makes sense. Sorry, you were talking about the two different types or three different types maybe of tariffs. Yeah, technically three. Yeah, so there, when you go on the website and when you look at the different tariff options available for you, or maybe you get something in the mail from your utility, or maybe you have a friend who got an EV before you um, and they already know what's going on, um, there are generally two or three different styles of EV charging tariffs. The first, and, and these can go for either if it's coupled with the home in your normal electricity usage or if it's separate. Um, so the first is just the normal flat tariff, which is you probably what you're already paying for your home, which is just you pay the same amount for charging at every hour of the day. Um, and this is generally the default for most utilities. Um, increasingly, this isn't true. If you look at San Diego Gas and Electric, uh, DTE here in Michigan, consumers in Michigan, um, et cetera, like this is starting to change. But generally for most of the country, this is the default. The second option is a dynamic time of use or TOU tariff. Um, and the reason why, sorry, and these dynamic time of use tariffs are where the price of electricity varies throughout the day. Um, EVs are a particularly special case uh, as users of electricity in the sense that one, they pose a large addition to a residential electricity load. Um, like I spoke about earlier, people's electricity usage multiplying by 10 just because they plugged in their EV. And two, uh, at, their core, at their core, EVs are just simply battery storage on wheels. They're just batteries moving about uh, space. Um, and to also be clear, two things that make grid operators particularly stressed are one, relatively rapid, large, unplanned additions to residential load that are physically moving across space, and two, untapped, unreported storage assets. Um, so in this sense, EVs are kind of a double-edged sword because they run the risk of causing huge unplanned increases in load, but they also offer significant value in the form of storage if we find a way to harness that. Um, so grid operators will seek to avoid the former and realize the latter through these dynamic time of use rates. Uh, the time of use EV rates are specifically designed to incentivize EV owners to charge at what the utility deems to be optimal hours. And they achieve this by leveraging price. So changing the price of electricity throughout the day. In a time of use tariff design, um, there are generally two or three periods on peak, off peak, and sometimes super off peak. Other times they'll name them different things, but it's generally two or three different periods. The on-peak hours are when charging would be most expensive, and the off-peak or the super off-peak would be the cheapest. I remember hearing some story of, I think, a utility in Texas where for their EV rates, the super off-peak hours, the cost of electricity was zero. Um, and wow. I never got to, yeah, I never got to, I, I remember just seeing it in passing, and I should have looked more into it, because that's just, it, uh, it was something to do with wind. Um, anyway. So for and so example, what, is the, what just does the average consumer do? What do you because mean? obviously the on-peak times are going to be the most convenient times for the average person to yeah. to charge. And so how does that? How does the average consumer deal with that? What do they? What do they do? Just pay the exorbitant it's, price, or 
I, I guess it depends on what you're able to pay for starters, which is a whole justice issue on its own. No but kidding. the goal is to push people to charge at night or to charge when solar is And that is, is because? Because there's just less electricity usage. And I think wind tends to be better at More night. More performance at night, yeah. Yeah. When, so I think, push I think people wind overnight when there's less demand for electricity because people are like yeah. sleeping, et cetera, et cetera. Is well, that the idea? Well, either times of less demand or times of high production. Because if you're trying to, to instead of ramping supply up to meet demand, instead, instead you're matching supply with, de I'm sorry, instead of ramping supply up and down to meet demand, now we're looking to demand and ramping demand up and down to match supply. So it's times of- I see, so like in the middle of the day maybe when yeah. solar's really producing. Yeah, so for example, in PG&E's EV2A rate, which is the one where the home and the EV are metered together, the off-peak hours, which are 24 cents a kilowatt hour, are 12 a.m. to 3 p.m. The partial peak, I don't know why they call it that, the partial peak hours are 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. to 12 a.m., which are 44 cents a kilowatt hour. And then the on-peak, which is 4 to 9 p.m., which is when everyone gets home and wants to charge their vehicles and they're all cooking food and they're watching TV um, and all their lights are on, is 55 cents a kilowatt hour. And so as time goes on and as I think utilities are taking these time of use rates more seriously and public utility commissions in general are starting to see their value and they're pushing them more, we're going to get more granular, I guess is the right word for it, and more, um, I guess granular is the right word, kind of more granular and structured rates where, you know, there's part of your partial peak time is one hour, just 3 to 4 p.m. Um, and so you can compare that time of use rate that I just explained to their base E1 residential flat tariff, which is always 35 cents a kilowatt hour. Hmm. So if you're smart about That's how you idea. charge, or if you have the ability to, and you, if you have the ability within your schedule um, to be really picky about when you charge, then you can save a lot of money. I think an issue is that not only do you have these multifaceted rates that are two, maybe three different rate tiers for different times of the day, and they, they might not even be like sequential. They're, you know, they, they're split up, they're spread out throughout the day. Um, but a utility could change them. You know, as, as different generation capabilities come online um, in, that, uh, in that power jurisdiction, it might be in the utility's best interest to, to change around those rates when, they, uh, when they're applicable, how much they are, those kind of things. I can, I can see it being kind of difficult for the average homeowner to really stay on top of, oh, you got, honey, you got to remember to not charge the EV right now. You yeah know, that, that kind of yeah i mean that's true that's one of the things i'm that's an opportunity yeah i mean i think that's true but that's either up to the different actors to try and like help people along that journey to drive a better outcome right like either like the utility is providing a price incentive which is like a market you know way for them to like incentivize you but sure that's complicated so like do you get a text message that says like hey you know don't charge now or it's already plugged in and you don't charge until later or you know, like, I think there's opportunities and people are working on this to kind of help people on that journey and make this more simple, kind of more set it and forget it, I think. And I think, too, this is something that the Public Utility Commission 
which, or at least in the U.S., the Public Utility Commission, I don't know what the equivalent is in other countries, but like that's something that especially as these time of use rates begin to become the default, which we're seeing in California and in Michigan, I know off the top of my head, that's something that they need to be proactive about, about managing fair rates and communicating with customers and consumers and seeing what works best for them while still having the best outcomes. And a lot of the really early research at the time of use, and I, I just know some of this because this is the type of work that I do and like the type of research that I'm studying was just, well, are these rates going to work? Are people going to respond? And then they found out, okay, yes, people will respond. We're seeing reductions in peak electricity usage. And now the question is, well, if we start breaking it up into three different periods, are people, are we just going to lose people? Or what, you know, what design of this is going to get the best results? And what design do people like the most? And what is, you know, not infringing upon their daily, uh, their daily, uh, you know, their daily life the most? What's the easiest for people to work with? And can we create different rates that are better for certain lifestyles? Like a rate for someone with young children is going to look very different than a rate that works best for me, a, you know, grad student living alone in an apartment. Like that can sometimes work from home. Like it just depends. Yeah. And one thing I think is interesting and you touched on this, right? So these time of use tariffs from the utilities are becoming more common and people are shifting their usage and responding to them, you know, at least somewhat, right? Like I can appreciate that it's complicated for the average person, um, but like we can help them get there. I also think what's cool, EVs also have a battery, right? So like in theory, like let's say, and again, not everyone's this lucky and this does nothing's one size fit all but like you could in theory have rooftop solar charge up your ev battery during the middle of the day and then use your ev to power your house during the peak window right and so like you're not even using like in theory any electricity or not that much during the peak and you're saving yourself a lot of money and you're also like using directly those solar electrons like that concept and that like um stitching together of the solar system with the battery in your EV to kind of like optimize or I almost call it like utility tariff hacking, I think is really cool and very interesting. Do you want to, do you want to just expand a little bit on like V2H and V2G? <laughs> yeah. Um, this is certainly a whole episode, but like, I think um, that like we talk about again in the industry, like people, this is like, we take this for granted. There's these terms of like, behind the meter and in front of the meter, right? I think um, we talked about that utility meter, like it's very literal in that sense. Um, and so behind the meter is like, you're not um, moving those electrons in front of the meter and like selling them or dispatching them into the grid. Um, that's in front of, behind is that you're not. And so um, in theory, your solar, your rooftop solar system sits behind the meter and so does your electric vehicle and so does kind of all of the energy use demand in your house. And so you could charge your electric vehicle battery or maybe even a standalone battery or maybe both behind the meter and then um, use your batteries to um, eat or like power the load of your house. You know, maybe it's your heat pump powered by a smart thermostat at home maybe it's just your tv or your dishwasher any of these kind of things um and if you go back to those time of use tariffs right like that makes sense because you're getting the solar from the solar panels and then like it's cheaper to kind of like charge during those um, off-peak hours right like in the pg and e 
there was 55 cents a kilowatt hour for on peak and then off peak was like 24 cents or something like that yeah and so like if you're using less or no energy during that peak um and you're shifting that load with your battery or your ev to those kind of like during the day hours like one that's cleaner and like also like you're almost like becoming more self-sufficient and so you're able to like really really reduce your um you know your your energy charges and so like all of this could kind of like happen without needing to dispatch your energy in front of the meter into the grid in like a vehicle to grid type scenario um and so there's like a lot of work i think and i think like people are excited about all of this potential and i agree it's very exciting like let's talk about all of it let's do a whole v2g episode let's do 10 episodes on v2g um but like i think it one thing i think is um very cool and maybe gets overlooked a bit is like doing a lot of interesting things behind the meter to optimize and reduce your energy cost i think um also, I, I kind of got away for a second by talking about time of use program design, and I ended up being more about like everyday, um, like everyday life. But the, the real reason to try to target EVs with these time of use rates specifically, and why we want people potentially on these time of use rates if they have EVs is because EVs are relatively easy to shift electricity usage for because you can charge them overnight, especially if you have a level two charger. And their change and the amount of electricity or sorry the amount of load that they add to the system is so much just to wrap that all up um there's yeah. one other type of ev charging rate that you might come across and it's i don't not very many people use it but i recently learned it existed um is it's called ev time-based charging it's an ev time-based charging incentive but if you know what peak time rebates is it's kind of like that but like not really i don't really I don't see this type of tariff um, taking off, but you know, maybe I'll eat my shoe like the guy from the interchange. Um, so instead of varying the price of electricity through a dynamic time of use rate, instead the utility can incentivize charging at optimal hours through a rebate. So JCPL in New Jersey, for example, offers a two cents per kilowatt hour credit for, for the hours an EV owner charges during what they deem to be off peak. So it all happens all the math happens like behind the scenes after the fact. Interesting. It's, I don't really like that program design. I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I feel like that's a little more opaque for the user. You're not really seeing the immediate impact of like, okay, I'm using when it's cheaper. It's yeah. Rebates are hard. Yeah. It's also, I, it's also just different in the impact because on the time of use, the dynamic time of use in the moment type of rate, then it's almost like, I, I, not that I want, it's, you know, it's almost like an extra charge. Here, it's like, here's a saving. So maybe their idea behind it is that, you know, they're giving people a carrot. So maybe they're more likely to do it. But I just don't know how I feel about that design. And to be clear, most utilities are using the time of use construct or the flat yeah. pricing, right? Like this, this rebate thing is a bit less common. Let's assume they are using something at all because plenty of utilities don't have time of use or they don't have anything at all. And they're just having all these, you know, to be, you don't have to tell your utility when you put an EV, when you install an EV uh, charger in your home. So they might not even know that you have one. Um, but if they do offer an option, it's most likely always time of use. I was shocked when I saw this JCPNL example. 
I someone showed it to me. I had never seen that in my life. Hmm. Someone's gonna come yeah. back with five more Very examples fair. in the Slack and be like, "Here, Pam. Here's like ten examples of this EV <laughs> program that you said you've never heard of before, but it's super popular. But I, I had never heard of it." Well, I do have to run uh, pretty quick here, and I think we've kind of. I think we did a good job. I think we covered a lot of um, a lot of different aspects of this. Um, like you said, James, we should spend an entire episode talking about V2G because electric vehicles are this super interesting potential uh, piece of the grid where you can move like a source and sink of electricity. You can physically move it around very easily and dispatch it in different ways throughout the day. It's yeah. There's a lot of complexity we can go into there. We are getting closer and closer to you guys wanting to do a DER aggregation participation in wholesale market episode. We're getting so close. The that next was... step after that <laughs> would be order twenty two twenty two. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, just to tease it a bit, right? Like we talked about behind the meter using your battery and your EV to kind of hack your tariff and reduce your cost. I mean, I think we'll dive into this deeper, but certainly you can use your battery to um, participate in a utility demand response program or like Pam sort of hinted at there um, become part of an aggregation into the wholesale market um, and I think that's kind of more where this um, concept of V to G um, comes into play right like not just impacting your own behind the meter footprint but participating in the larger grid um, and there's a lot of complexity it's moving very quickly um, but it's certainly very interesting and we plan to cover in the future that's that's a huge area of interest of mine. I can't wait. Can't wait. Mm-hmm.